message today. Usually, when we experience good news, we want to share it. True statement? It's never been easier to share good news in the history of humanity than it is today. True statement? I mean, we, we can be inundated, right, with uh, whatever's going on, good, bad. Of course, I think, uh, you know, being inundated with good news is a whole lot better than a lot of the negativity that we tend to be inundated with. But, right, when, when good things happen, uh, you know, people share it, right? Social media, that kind of thing. You know, here's some examples. So you get a new job, you want to tell people about it, right? Um, if, you, if you get engaged, um, or, i.e., if you're a beard, you uh, want to, you know, see, there's a, there's a theme here. It's like 47 weddings in the last three years. Um, that, that's your hand, isn't it, Molly? Okay, I thought so. All right. Um, I mean, like, if you have a baby, I mean, you, you know, you, you definitely, uh, definitely want people to... See that, right? And we, we, we like to, to, to share in good news, you know. We're happy uh, to, to see these kind of things. Of course, the closer you are, the, the better news uh, that, that it is. Um, I mean, there's nobody here that would rather hear bad news than good news. I don't think. I hope not. Um, <laughs> it's Lori here because if that's... <laughs> that's you, you know, let's make an appointment quickly because, you know, that's, that's a little different. But, uh, you know, when we hear good news, we hope it's true. And, you know, if it's true, we, we, it, it brings joy. And, you know, in, in, in the Christmas story, in the passage we're going to read today, it, said, it says in one of the phrases there, the angels brought good tidings or good news. It's literally the word that we get uh, evangelism, gospel, those kind of things from, uh, that, uh, that, that they brought good news of great joy. And so, you know, my question for us this morning would be, is the gospel is the news of Jesus coming into the world, Jesus being born, uh, and, and everything that goes along with that, does that make us joyful? Because whether or not it does, I think, tells us a lot about what we really believe. So, you know, do we believe that this story is true, that it's, that it's real? Do we believe that it's good news? Uh, does it make us joyful? And, and so really what I want to address is this question of, you know, why is the birth of Jesus uh, joyful news? What makes it really good news? And I, I want to point out three things, uh, three reasons that it's good news this morning from uh, the, the story of the shepherds, familiar story in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 2. Just, uh, just, you know, just curiosity, okay? This is, I think, an interesting Christmas poll. How many of you at some point in your life have been a shepherd in some kind of Christmas program? How many of you wore a sheet, pillowcase, whatever, <laughs> carried some form of a staff? Raise your hand. Come on now. It's got to be more than that. Man, you, we, I think we did that together, didn't we? Really? Only that many? Man, you all had a deprived childhood. This is, this is sad. I mean, I just thought that was part of like, okay. All right. Well, anyway, let, let's read the story. All right. Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8. Of course, you know, this is after uh, you know, the birth of Jesus actually being described. It says, now they're in the same country. 
shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, uh, which will be to all people. Another important phrase uh, in this. And, and, and this is the news, verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, multi, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, uh, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And that must have been some kind of just awesome scene. You've got one angel, they're already afraid. Then you've got a multitude of angels, the glory of God, this announcement uh, to these nondescript, uh, unimportant, seemingly you know, shepherds, just regular guys out doing their job uh, one night. And so, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And we'll come back to this uh, sentence at the end, but it's really a great statement of faith. Because I want you to notice what it says. It says, let us now go to Bethlehem not to see if this thing has come to pass, but to see this thing that has come to pass. They believed it, and they acted on it. It says, and they came with haste, they hurried, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned. And what were they doing? They were glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told to them. So, uh, you know, it's good tidings of great joy. Uh, you know, they're glorifying and praising God. They're obviously excited uh, about this. You don't experience something like this and, and stay the same. Just like today, we don't experience the saving power of Jesus Christ and, and, and say, stay the same. We don't meet him and, and our lives not be different. And you notice they went back to the same occupation, but they went back to that same occupation as different men. And that's what always happens uh, when somebody gets saved. You may go back into the same life, but you're going back into that same life as a different person. So why, uh, why is this news that they received, why is it good news? Why is it uh, joyful news? And so, like I said, I want to point out three reasons to you from this text. Number one, the birth of Jesus is joyful news because it's real news. This was a historical event. It actually happened. This isn't like a story in Greek mythology or something like that. It's presented in a straightforward kind of way. Um, Andy Stanley says something I think is very true. He says, when you hear good news, you hope that it's true. Right? I think that's a true statement. When we hear good news, we hope that it's true. But... We can also, and I think the older we are, the more true this is, we can also be cynical and like, you know, 
Is this real? Is it too good to believe? I'm not sure if I'm buying that. I don't know if that really uh, happened. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of truth around that surrounding Christmas, right? Um, you know, Christmas can be kind of magical when you're a kid, and, you know, there's things that you believe that aren't necessarily true, but, you know, and as you get older, you know better and those kind of things. And, you know, we get a little jaded, you know, just when about Christmas, just about life. And I, I think especially in the world in which we live today, in which we're inundated with fake news, it's hard to actually believe stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we shouldn't believe. I mean, it's, it's hard uh, to, to trust. And, of course, you know, that's really actually nothing new. Um, here's some incorrect news headlines uh, from, from history. Um, after the Titanic sank, the Vancouver Sun, the Vancouver Daily Province, and the world all reported that nobody had died on the Titanic when over 1,500 people were dead. Um, a, a newspaper in Louisiana in 1862 uh, ran the headline, quote, Glorious News, and said that the Confederacy had taken Washington. So fake news isn't necessarily new. On December 21st, 1924, the New York Times ran a story claiming that Adolf Hitler was a changed man after a stint behind bars. It says, quote, that his behavior during imprisonment convinced the authorities that he was no longer to be feared. It is believed that he will retire to private life and return to Austria, the, the country of his birth. Maybe the most famous mistaken headline in history is on November 3rd, 1948, the Chicago Tribune printed papers declaring Thomas Dewey the winner of the presidential election before the final, final electoral count came in. Of course, Harry Truman won the presidency, and probably one of the most iconic pictures in American history is him uh, declaring victory while holding that newspaper up for a picture. Um, in, in December 1956, the New York Times ran an item claiming that Fidel Castro was among 40 revolutionaries killed by the Cuban government. And so, there's a lot of fake news in the world. And, you know, in the middle of that kind of thing, why should we, you know, and this is a really common question, why, people ask the question today, you know, why should I believe this book? Why should I you know, take it as historically accurate? And, and how in the world could you believe a story about a virgin birth? So why should we believe this really happened? Why should we believe that this story isn't fake news? Well, if you go back a page or two, back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, and he, and he wrote a prologue to it in Luke 1, 1 through 4. And he, he described what he did as this way. He said, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed." In other words, what Luke is saying that he was doing is that he conducted careful research. He was acting as a historian. 
And he, and he was saying that he wasn't the only one who had done this, but that many people had done this. And he was saying to those readers that you can be assured of the things uh, which I wrote. And, you know, he's writing his gospel close enough to the time in, in which, uh, you know, Jesus actually lived, that there were followers of Jesus, there were eyewitnesses still alive who could verify or debunk the things uh, that he was saying. And you say, well, you know, he's claiming it's true. Lots of people claim things are true and they're not really true. Why should we actually even begin to believe this? And of course, there's lots of things that can be said about that. And uh, I've got time for about two minutes worth of them. I'll just give you two thoughts. Uh, number one, I, I, something Andy Stanley points out that that's, uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in is this. Why was there so much literature written about a carpenter from an obscure place like Galilee. I mean, if, if this isn't actually true, why are there four biographies? Why is Paul writing all these books? You know, why are there, even if, you know, you set aside the Bible, why are there, uh, you know, several historical references outside the Bible to Jesus of Nazareth? You know, why have we now... Uh, you know, changed, you know, or based our whole dating system on his existence uh, if none of this actually happened. It, it doesn't make sense. There had to be some kind of reason people were writing about him. You know, we kind of have to step back in history. Today, anybody can write uh, and publish themselves, put out on the internet anything they want to, right? Anybody can get an, an, an audience. Uh, you know, I mean, a 16-year-old was made Times Person of the Year. I mean, you know, we all have access, really, to the entire world, in a sense, through the Internet. In that day and time, there was nothing like that. Usually, if something was going to be written about you, you had to be rich and hire somebody to do it. So, uh, you know, one of the things you want to explain Jesus away is you have to explain even why are there, uh, you know, all these writings about him. But ultimately... The thing that you have to explain away, I think, is the resurrection. And why did all these people give their lives for something that they would have known to be a lie if they did not actually see him risen from the dead? Uh, there's all kinds of reasons. You know, there's all the fulfilled prophecies in the life of Christ. And we could go uh, on and on. Uh, you know, there, there's reasons to believe that this really happened, that it's a true story. And so what do you believe? And, and the thing that we need to remember is if it's not real, if it's not factual, if it didn't actually happen, it means nothing. So everything when it comes to Christianity stands or falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Did he really come? Is he really the Son of God? Did he really die for our sins? Did he really rise from the dead? Because Christianity is not a set of rules, it's not a set of rituals, it's not a philosophy, it's not self-help to a better life. It's about a Savior who came from heaven to earth, died and rose again, and either that's fake or it's fact. It's fake news or it's a hoax or, you know, it's the greatest news that ever happened. Who is Jesus? You know, what did he do for us? What do you believe about this? You know, is it real? And understand, even if you believe it's historical, that's only like getting you to like first base. You got to go beyond that. It can be in your head, but is it in your heart? 
Have you surrendered your will to Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Do you love him? Have you embraced him? Or are you trusting him? That's what real saving faith is. So do you believe it's good news? Do you believe it's joyful news? It's only good news. It's only joyful news if it's true. If it's not true, we just ought to move on from it. Because we don't want to base our lives on myths. Okay, a second reason though, did I believe it's joyful news? So I believe it's joyful news because it's universal news. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. It's good news for everybody. Um, the, the angels said to him, uh, good, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. That's really important. Because sometimes good news can just be good news for us. And, and once again, like you think of the pictures that we put on the screen. Terry got a new job. That's great news for her. That's good news for her family. Uh, you know, as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we can rejoice in that. But it doesn't really affect our lives personally a whole lot. Right? Um, you know, the, the, the people getting engaged, people getting mar- married. Well, that's sweet. And, you know, we like that. And we hope it works out well. But... Uh, you know, well, Molly, that's a little different story. But, uh, I mean, uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I mean, that's not, that doesn't affect my life a whole lot. I mean, we could celebrate with people, but it's not really exactly good news for me. Or, you know, babies born. We all like babies. Babies are cute and sweet, and we like looking at the pictures. I mean, you know, uh, even me, that tugs at my heartstrings, believe it or not. But, I mean, it's not really good news for me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got three kids. I don't want no more babies. I'm almost 50 years old. I'm, I'm good, you know. You can have that good news, and I'll, uh, you know, be happy for you. But, you know, it's not really good news for me. But, but the idea of this is it is good news for everyone because Jesus came as a Savior for all people. The Bible says, you know, Romans 1.16, that the gospel of Jesus is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. It, it, it's not based on who we are, what we've done, you know, wherever you live, whatever your race, your ethnicity, your skin color, your socioeconomic status, uh, your morality, your religion, or anything else. Jesus came and died for you. And, you know, that's represented, I think, that's really part of the reason, I think, why uh, he came and appeared to shepherds. Now, there's probably some other reasons. You know, Jesus is our good shepherd. He's also the Lamb of God um, who dies for the sins of the world. And, uh, you know, they were possibly, uh, you know, tending the sheep that would be used in, in the temple sacrifices. But really, shepherds were kind of outcast. And uh, Jesus came for the outcast, for the down and out, for the immoral uh, for you know, those that are rejected by the world. Daniel Darling uh, wrote an article in Christianity Today about this and reads us just a little bit of it. He says, quote, Today's shepherds are romanticized in nearly every Christmas pageant. Many of us have donned a modified pillowcase and grabbed a walking stick to appear in a, in a Christmas pageant at church or school. But in the first century, nobody thought shepherds were cute. And certainly nobody thought they were important. But they were the first to know of Christmas. Shepherds were not really considered part of polite society in those days. They were required to tend their flocks outside the city gates. The only reason shepherds had any significance was because sheep was a valuable commodity, especially as it got closer to Passover 
when many lambs would be sacrificed in the temple. The work of shepherds was, and still is, extraordinarily difficult. They had to wrangle obstinate sheep. They had to ensure their flocks were well fed. And they had to fend off predators, wolves, or even larger animals like bears or lions. Sometimes unsavory characters would come in and try to steal the sheep. This is why shepherds were awake on this night. Most likely they were sleeping in shifts, ensuring the livestock was not compromised. And yet there's something significant and powerful about the inclusion of shepherds in the Jesus story. Luke is reminding us by mentioning the shepherds that the kingdom of God isn't just for insiders, but for outsiders like shepherds, like the poor classes where Mary and Joseph came from. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is often not made up of the noble and the wise, but of the underclass, those people who have no business being near royalty. Emmanuel, God with us, means God is truly among all classes of people, not simply the connected or well-resourced. It's good news. It's joyful news because it's for all people. It's for me and you, wherever we are. That's where Jesus came to meet us at. And then number three, the birth of Jesus is joyful news because it's saving news. Aaron, if you would, go back to, to verse 11. It says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, that, that's the point of him coming. That's the point of their uh, announcement. And, and it's kind of a, a Savior born. The Lord born. This baby is claiming to be the Messiah, you know, our Savior the Lord, God, it's, it's the idea that God has come in, in, in human flesh to live and to die uh, among us. The, you know, that's the astounding supernatural claim about Jesus, that he is our Lord and Savior. He wasn't just a man, but he is God come in human flesh. I mean, in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, the Bible puts it this way. It kind of, it's almost like the, the theology of Christmas in a nutshell. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It, it's saying that Jesus is, is God. But, you know, the glory and the majesty and the splendor and the outward display of that, he didn't consider that something to be held on to, but he laid that aside to come and, and, and to serve us. I mean, think about a God, you know, being born of a woman. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling. But then he didn't stop there. He humbled himself even further. And he went all the way to the death of a cross for us. Like I said before communion, you can't separate the cradle and the cross. Jesus, fully God, fully man, is God making an infinite sacrifice for the sins of the world as a man being your and my personal substitute, living the life we failed to live, dying the death we deserve to die in our place. You know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, 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 and truth. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was born to die. He came as our Savior to rescue us. That's the point of Christmas. But I think the question is, we said before, one, do we believe it? Is, is it true news? But beyond that, do I see the need for it for me personally? Because really, to be saved, we have to humble ourselves. Because we have to admit, first of all, that we're sinners. Not just, you know, we all can say easily, oh, I'm not perfect. Like that's a revelation to, to somebody. Right? Nobody's ever said that and somebody responded, I'm so shocked, I thought you were. Right? I mean, it's never happened. We have to admit, the humble ourselves, admit we've sinned against a holy God. But I think maybe even the harder step for a lot of us is we have to admit that because of my sins, I'm headed to hell, I'm separated from him, and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I'm just not good enough. I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You remember a few years ago, uh, Aaron put up a picture too. Remember a few years ago when there was like this, you know, worldwide news of the Chilean miners that were, you know, trapped in that mine and, um, you know, for, for weeks. And, uh, you know, they expended just enormous amounts of money trying to figure out a way uh, to, to actually get them out of, uh, you know, being in, in the mine that they were trapped in. And, and, and can you just uh, imagine if um, when they actually, you know, figured that out and, you know, they, they got the, this tube, whatever you would call it, you know, down in there to actually be able to start extracting them. And those miners said, you know, thanks, but we're going to take care of it ourselves. We're going to dig our way out. You know, we can do it. We don't, we don't need you. We don't want you to do it for us. And listen, that's in effect what we do when we try to save ourselves by our own religion, by our own efforts, by our own righteousness, by our own goodness, by our own works. We're saying, hey, thanks for what you did. Thanks for all the trouble you went to. Appreciate what it cost you, but I'll take care of this myself. Now, could you imagine the response if those miners did that? Think of how it feels to God when he got, gave himself, when he gave his all, when he gave his son, and we're like, no, I'll handle it myself. Tim Keller puts it this way in talking about Christmas. He says, Christmas is about receiving presents, but consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts, by the very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a dieting book. Then you take off another ribbon and wrapper, and you find it is another book from another friend called Overcoming Selfishness. If you say to them, thank you so much, you're in a sense admitting, well, I am overweight and obnoxious. In other words, some gifts are hard to receive, because to do so is to admit, admit you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. 
Perhaps on some occasion you had a friend who figured out you were in financial trouble and came to you and offered a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If if that has ever happened to you, you probably found that to receive the gift meant swallowing your pride. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do so. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God Himself could save us. So, listen, if if we're proud, if we're self-righteous, the gospel's never going to be good news to us. This, This is just going to be a nice little story. But if we admit that we are sinful and we are lost and we are hopeless and we are helpless and we are hell-bound, the best news that we could ever hear is that God came to rescue us in the person of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That God left heaven, came to earth, died for us, rose from the dead. And like I said before, how much we rejoice in the gospel says a lot about where our faith really is. We're going to talk about this next week, but Tim Keller says, and I think he's right, that how much we can rejoice in the gospel during our trials shows us whether or not we really believe it, or basically whether or not we're just trying to get something from God. So, Jesus came to save us. This is real news. It's universal news. It's for each and every one of us. It's saving news. Are you trusting in him? Uh, Look as we close uh, at how the the shepherds uh, responded. And uh, Aaron, if you go back to verse 15 before you put those other slides up. um, You know, so the angels appear. They hear this and you're like, man, well, if if some angels appear to me, uh, you know, I believe too. Well, that's not true because Jesus basically told us if we don't believe the word of God, we're not going to believe some sign that shows up. So we've got this story, we've got the historical account of this in Scripture. Are we going to believe it and act on it or not? Look at what they did. Uh, you know, they, they heard this. They said, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. Like I said before, not if it's come to pass, that it has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And so, you know, they went and they saw it. And then they came, as they came back, they were telling everybody about it. And they were glorifying the Lord. They were, they were praising the Lord, uh, the scripture says there. So how should we respond to this story? First of all, you know, by faith in Jesus Christ, by taking God at his word, acting on it, uh, turning from our sins, turning to Christ, putting all of our hope and trust and reliance on him to save us, to forgive us, to make us a new person, living our life for him. He's our savior. He's our forgiver. He's our Lord, the one who leads and guides and directs our lives. Are you trusting in Christ as your Lord and, and savior? But then... If you say you are, let me ask a couple of follow-up questions. How often are you sharing this good news with others? Why? Because we share good news. If we're not telling others, like the shepherds did, do we really believe that it's good news? I mean, does it make us joyful? I mean, do we believe it's real? Do we believe it's for everybody? Do we believe it saves people from hell, gives people a relationship with God? I mean, if we really believe that, how can we keep that to ourselves? So I just ask you, who are you praying for to be saved? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you inviting uh, to, to church? 
And then we glorifying and praising our Savior. We're rejoicing in Him, praising Him for who He is, thanking Him for what He's done for us. Because, you know, when you read Scripture, faith always leads to worship. And if there's not worship, there's not faith. We're trusting Him. So if you're a Christian, I think the challenge from this text is to tell others to live a life of worship. If you're not a Christian, this is good news. Jesus died for you. You can be forgiven today. You can know God today. You can receive the gift of eternal life today. But you have to humble yourself, repent of your sin, trust Him and Him alone. Will you do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.